know it won't be long. We're going to outgrow this place. Hallelujah. But praise the Lord. It gives me great pleasure to introduce uh, the speakers here this morning. Uh, I want them to come forward. Brother Chris and Caitlin, y'all both come. Let's give them a hand. I think most of you know that uh, Pastor Chris and his wife, Caitlin, will be taking my place here come July. And uh, I just want to tell you, I'm leaving you in good hands. And you have nothing to worry about. The church is still going to go on. This church is birthed by God. We didn't create it. God sent us here to do it. And uh, he brought us a long way, and there's a long way to go yet. And uh, this couple here is much capable of doing it. I will be moving into another position. That's strictly, I've been the overseer, but that's going to be my main job. And uh, I'm not going to abandon you. I think Brother Chris is going to schedule me once a month to be back here. So I'll keep an eye on you. And uh and I'm looking forward to seeing what God's going to do. So, so praise the Lord. Uh, this is a great couple here. Uh, that they have been in our ministry for a long time. In fact, Brother Chris was here before I got here. He was nothing but a child, but he was here before I got here. But uh, I've watched him grow up. Uh, get in trouble, may straighten him out a few times, but he turned out to be a fine man of God and dedicated to this ministry, this ministry that God has called us to. So praise the Lord. Brothers, amen. Good morning. How y'all doing? me up here and I was like surprise there's two speakers didn't know about it but if you don't know me I'm Caitlin I did speak at a women's night here once before but we are excited um God did a big change in me last year and he's still changing me still working some things out but my whole life's been flipped upside down lately just personally and um so I'm excited to see everything that God's doing and I, I do believe it's God so just excited to see that amen well, good morning. Y'all doing good? Okay, just making sure. Well, the Bible says to give honor to whom honor is due. I don't think anybody in here knows what I'm about to say. Maybe Brother Carl does, but it's good to see Miss Virginia here this morning. I don't know. You remember me, right? Hurt? Oh, I was little. I was little, all right. Brother Carl can tell you how he thought I was a midget later, but... Y'all think I'm kidding, you know, anyway, um, no, uh, Miss Virginia's son, Charlie, was one of the first people who discipled me, um, and so part of the reason I'm up here is from the investment he made, and I ran all over her house, and he's up at her house all hours of the night, the worst thing they ever did was put a McDonald's across the highway from her house, because me and her son would go get McDonald's at 2.30 in the morning, I don't know how she slept, but anyway, Amen. Well, I'm excited this morning. I'm excited to be here. I have a message for you that I didn't realize how timely it was for this ministry until I started really praying for it. The Lord put it on my heart. 
share it this morning. And then as I began really diving into it, I was like, oh, okay. So if you would, open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew 5, verse 14. And then when you get there, we're going to pray and then we're going to go for it. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for your presence. I thank you that you're here. I thank you that what we're about to discuss is not of my own opinion or thought or theology, but it's all yours. Father, we ask you that you would come and just inhabit this place. Let every person under the sound of my voice leave changed, wanting and knowing you more. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. If you're taking notes, preachers say that. When preachers say, are you taking notes, that usually means you probably should be. That's usually what that means. But if you are taking notes, the title of this message is Positioned for Influence. Positioned for Influence. I'm going to start in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. You are the light of the world, a city that is set on a hill that cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. I'm going to read it again. You are the light of the world, a city that is set on a hill that cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. A couple of things before we dive into this. You've probably seen it, but it's still, this is what I picture when I read that, when it says a city on a hill cannot be hidden. When I was a kid, we had, uh, our family had 6,000 acres of hunting land about an hour south from here, uh, right before Point Lahash, Louisiana, a little place called Wills Point, Louisiana. And I preach about it all the time because I had so many encounters with the Lord down there. But we used to have, we didn't have electricity, we had generator power. And so usually we, the generator would run off at some point during the night, and we never had indoor plumbing either, so you had to go outside to use the restroom. And so I can remember as a kid, going outside with no generator, with no light, and all you could see is the stars, except if you looked westward. When you looked to the west, you could see the lights of the city. And so when I read this verse and I close my eyes, that's what I'm seeing. I'm seeing total darkness around me, but somewhere in the distance, there's some light. And so when the Bible says that we're a city on a hill, and a city on a hill cannot be hidden, that's what he's referring to, that you shouldn't even have to try to let your light shine. You should just be shining. Like people should be like, that's different. Just because of how you walk, of how we talk, there should be this noticeable difference. But I want to go back to the part where he says you're the light of the world. Because if you study your Bible, you know that Jesus in John chapter 8 verse 12 says, I am the light of the world. It's one of his seven I am statements that he makes when he says, I am the light of the world. And so if Jesus says, I am the light of the world in John chapter 8, what in the world is he doing calling me the light of the world in Matthew chapter 5? Because I don't know about you, but I do not feel like I qualify for such a description that he describes himself with. But Romans chapter 1 says, yeah, Romans 1 says that creation itself speaks of its creator because we are without an excuse. And this relationship between John 8 and Matthew 5, creation demonstrates it for us in this regard. The moon doesn't put off any light by itself. It's simply a reflection of the sun. So in the same manner, me being the light of the world, I don't have any light in and of myself. All I'm doing is projecting or or reflecting the light that is already coming from Jesus. So the issue is always, if there's not a lot of light coming off of our lives, it is never to do with the supply end. It's always on the reflecting end. Right? And so Jesus makes it very clear, you 
are the light of the world. Now, I want to stop right there, and I want you to think about that statement and apply it to yourself. He calls you the light of the world. As messed up and jacked up as you have been, you're the light of the world. Like, when you read that, there should be this moment of pause where you think, I do, because I like to remember what he saved me from. I never want to lose that. And so I remember the, the, the person Brother Crawl had to correct. I remember the things that he don't know about me. Because ain't nobody trying to get in trouble that kind of trouble with me. But when I think about that, I think of who I was, and I think of what he saved me from. Then I think he calls me the light of the world, and I think that that is a gigantic oxymoron. Like, how can I be the light of the world? How can he possibly look at me and see something similar to himself? Because that's what he's saying. Think about you, where you came from. Right? If you've been serving the Lord five years, think of yourself six years ago. You're the light of the world. Not who you were even. Who he's made you is the light of the world. You can never lose sight of that. You can never lose how amazing that is. And also think of it this way. I believe that <clears throat> the disciples followed Jesus. But theologically, I don't know if they were born again yet. Right? Peter expresses in Matthew 16, you're the Christ, son of the living God. He confessed with his mouth and believed in his heart. That's when he got born again. But I believe most of them got born again in the end of John chapter 20 when Jesus said he breathed on them and relieved the Holy Spirit. He was already resurrected. So at this moment in time, these guys aren't saved as you and I are in this moment. Yet he still says you're the light of the world. Because Jesus always sees you at your best. <clears throat> Hell always identifies you by your worst. So this is how you know when you're listening to the voice of the enemy or the voice of the Lord is if it's the voice of the enemy, he's telling you how messed up you are, how bad you are, how ruthless you are, and he's coming against what the word says about you. The Holy Spirit is always pulling you closer to Jesus. doesn't matter what you've done because this is what he sees in you, and he drags you along, and he pulls you along with him. So you can never, ever, ever forget that even when you're lost, think about this for a moment, you're dead in sin. When he looks at you, he still sees you as your best in him. He still sees you as somebody worth dying for. He still sees you as somebody worth putting his spirit in. If I gave you $1,000 and said you could, you, could, you could invest in a stock, you would most likely pick the stock that has the, the highest rate of growth. It's doing the best. It's got the best track record. Jesus didn't do that. Jesus took his priceless investment and invested it in like the one thing that had never produced. Humanity. Right? It had never produced righteousness. It had never produced holiness. It had never produced anything in and of itself worth anything. Yet Jesus is like, uh, I'm going to pick them. You're the light of the world. A city on a hill that cannot be hidden. I'm going to get more of that in a minute. I want to keep going. When the Holy Spirit is truly inside, it can't be hidden. It, can't, it, can't, it can be denied. But light is really obvious to darkness. Have you ever played with your kids or whatever, and they, they're trying to play hide and seek, but they're still kind of scared of the dark, so they want a flashlight? Remember, I was playing during the quarantine. We were all locked up at home. My son was taking a nap, so we had to play like a quiet game with my two daughters. And I said, we're going we're gonna to turn all the lights off, and we're going to play sardines. Okay, y'all going to go hide. Daddy's going to find. I'm going to go hide. Y'all going to find. 
come this, you're going to come find me. And the first one to find me hides with me. And then he has to take off again. And that's, that's fun. Well, my daughter Bethany found me first. Because they both had little flashlights. And I said, hey, come here. You got to turn the flashlight off. She goes, no, I don't want to turn the flashlight off. And I'm like, no, baby, we're hiding. I know, but I can't see. I know. But that's the point. You're with me? Like, it's okay. I'm trying to explain this to her. And then Addison found us, of course, because of the light. Even though my daughter was trying to hide the light, it was still visible. Even when we're struggling in our walk and borderline being hypocritical, the light is still available. That's why when we try to go back to our old life, we're not fully committed. The world even thinks we're fake. The world even is like, what are you doing? You're faking. What are you doing? You don't belong here. They can see it written all over our faces because the truth of the Holy Spirit's on the inside of us, yet we're having a moment of, I don't know, foolishness, and we're trying to act like the world again, and we don't know why it doesn't feel right look right because the whole room's like, something don't belong. Because it sticks out. I want to go to verse 15. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. When I was a kid, I used to always wonder why in the world they said a basket, because in my mind, you don't put on a basket. Well, of course not, because you don't want to catch the basket on fire. Like, that's what I thought as a kid, right? Because, you know, you don't play with fire as a kid. And I'm thinking of a wicker basket, and, like, I can't put this basket where the fire will catch the fire. That is absolutely not what is going on here. What they're talking about is, and you've probably seen this if you, you know, you've been around oil lamps or things like that or just candles, but they used to have a basket on a stick that they would use to put the lamp out. And so what Jesus is saying is, why would we light a lamp to just put it out immediately? So what he's saying is, if you're the light of the world, and we can't light ourselves, right? Like, he has to light us. So what he's saying is, is why in the world would I light a lamp just to put it out? Why would I light a lamp? No one does that. No one lights a lamp to simply have it extinguished and put it out. Nobody does that. But it's talking about a lamp on a lamp stand. Now, I preached an entire message in 2020, I think it was, on an oil lamp. And one thing, I'm going to have one in my office because it is, it is an extremely powerful representation of the Christian life. The oil sits in the bottom of the lamp, and there's the wick that is rolled up, and you got to light it, and the wick has to be soaked in the oil, so you have to put it the right height, and then you got to trim the yeah, I mean, it's hard to preach all day on it, but I'm not right now. You saw me almost preaching on it, but I didn't. That's a rabbit hole. That's how you don't fall down a rabbit hole when you're preaching if you want to learn anything by preaching. But they would have oil lamps. And so what what is happening in this passage is Jesus is, again, using an, an, an analogy to communicate to people that they, in a way, they would understand. And so what he's saying is, is that, no one's going to light a lamp and put it under a basket, but they put it on a lampstand so it gives light to all that are in the house. And so Jesus comes, <clears throat> and he says, you're the light of the world, and you're a you're sitting on a hill. He's explaining to them that you're like an oil lamp. Now, an oil lamp is portable. It has the handle. It has to be lit. It has to be trimmed. It has to be maintained. But he's letting them know that you are an oil lamp. Now, why? Is that the case? First thing out you have to remember, if you, because this, I don't have like points in other for you today, so it just kind of catches as it's coming. But the oil lamp is never lit for the lamp's sake. Jesus says you're the light of the world. The sin of heaven cannot be hidden. You don't light a lamp, put it on a basket, but you put it on a lampstand. No one lights a lamp because lamps like to burn. 
People light a lamp because there's darkness and we need light. Right? Please hear me out. I love the presence of God. I love to worship God. That's where I started. I, I led worship, and then one day God's like, hey, you're going to be a pastor. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. But, like, I started doing worship. I've been worshiping my whole life. But God created me to worship, but he didn't save me simply only to worship. He didn't save me just simply be in the presence of God all day, every day, and get the Holy Ghost goosebumps and feel good and all this great stuff and then go back and just live on. That's not what he created me for. That's not what he saved me for. And so it's very important that we understand the first part of this verse. Jesus is saying, you're like a lamp, which means I'm lighting you on purpose. There is a reason why I'm lighting you. There is a reason why I'm investing this in you. So that should say, okay, well, i got to pay attention because it's on purpose. Jesus doesn't do anything by happenstance or, or coincidence. So he's lighting me on purpose. What is he lighting me for? He's not lighting me for my benefit. He could save me and take me if he wanted to. If that was the case, we'd get born again and he'd just take us to heaven. But that's not the case. The case is that he has a purpose, like Brother Carl said a minute ago, he has a purpose for us. And so he lights us for a reason. Psalm 119, 105 says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light into my path. He has given me his word for me. Because your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So this is for me. This light isn't. You catching the distinction here? I want you to really catch this before we move on. That, that this is for me. Your word is a lamp to my feet. When, when I need to know where to go, I go here. I go dig it and I find it even though I might want to manipulate it or I might want it to make it say what I want it to say. A true person looks at the word and changes themselves to fit the word, not change the word to fit themselves. Right? So it's important that we understand that. But what Jesus is saying here, and what David says in Psalms is, your words are lamps to my feet and a light on my path. But I have called you to be the light of the world, and I'm not lighting you for yourself. See, this right here, this verse, just gets rid of all selfishness in Christianity instantaneously. The moment that we think anything about Christianity, living this life is about us, is the moment we've lost sight of the person the whole thing's named after. If, if Jesus Christ wanted this to be about himself, he would not have chosen Calvary. He wouldn't have said yes. Luke 19.10, the entire future of the world and all of creation was determined when Jesus said, not my will, but yours be done. Luke 18.22. Sorry, Luke 19.10, the Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost. I mean, both good verses, but you know what I mean. Now, common Jewish homes back in the day were one large room. And they have a lampstand because they, the, the, that was the common home. And usually it would be not just one family. It would be grandma, grandpa, brother, sister, brother and his wife. And all the, the kids would all live in one big, big room together. But wealthier homes would have one or two rooms, larger, one or two rooms. And they would have a lampstand in each room because the oil was a commodity. That was the, the more expensive feature. So instead of having two or three lamps, they would have two or three lampstands and one lamp. And so what you would do is you would take the lamp from one room and go put it on the other room. And then when you were done in that room, you'd take it and you'd go put it in the other room. That's, that's what would happen. And so what Jesus is saying is, is that you're not called to be a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. 
but you're rather to be put on a lamp stand. Now, I've been preaching and talking to you about this, this whole point right here. Someone would take it and go to the room they were in. The light Jesus has placed inside of me was not meant just to burn. This light was also not meant to be placed just anywhere. It has a specific place on this lampstand. you got to think now, what are these homes built of? They're built of brush, wood, lots of flammable items. And the whole family's in the same room. And you know if you have kids that if there's a candle on the ground or if there's a drink on the ground, your three-year-old is going to find a way to knock it over. Right? Like this room is big. How do you manage to get that right there, son? I don't understand. You could have went all these other places and you found the one spot with a cup. When in our reality, we're the dumb one that put the cup on the floor, right? Right. That's that's the truth. We don't want to say that, but that's the reality. But see, here's what happens. Jesus says, I've called you to be a city on a hill, but put you on a lampstand. I'm not just going to put you on the ground. Because, see, a lamp out of position is dangerous. A lamp out of position is dangerous. People say all the time, well, Pastor Chris, I don't need to go to church just to be involved in the kingdom and to serve God. Technically, you can just argue the theological semantics if you'd like. But I can tell you this. You definitely cannot be used by God if you're not where he wants you to be. There are a lot of people today that are under the impression that they can dictate their own level of service to the Lord. They've apparently never read Leviticus 2. Leviticus 2 is about the grain offering. I have a whole message on that. Maybe you'll read it one day. Leviticus 2 is, is is a grain offering. It's a completely voluntary offering. Go read it and tell me if it's voluntary. You didn't have to offer it. But the moment you said you were going to give the grain offering, there's like 10 verses of instructions you have to do to offer it correctly. Because even when we volunteer ourselves to the Lord, we volunteer for the military. That's the last choice you make when you're running. Right? Like the moment you sign up and enlist, you they own you for whatever it is, four to six years, you're theirs. Well, that's the same thing in the kingdom. We say yes to Jesus. He's in charge the rest of the way. America doesn't like that. America thinks the kingdom of God is a representative democracy, and it's not. The kingdom of God is a kingdom with a king who's in charge, and we say yes. So Jesus is saying, I've called you to be put on a lampstand. Because people who are lit, think about this, they're lit, but they're not positioned are dangerous. You know why? Because the moment that I start using this fire for the things I want to do, I begin burning up people all around. I begin burning things up all around me. I've been in a place when I was younger where one person who was lit took themselves off the lampstand and started putting their lamp where they wanted it and began to burn, almost burnt the entire youth ministry up. Why? Because for one moment, it became about them. And the moment that that happens, that's when Jesus comes along. It's like, okay. He's got to remove it because he's not going to let one weird candle burn the whole household. So he had to be positioned because a lamp out of position is dangerous. Now, if you remember a minute ago, I said that these homes, these bigger homes had multiple rooms and multiple lampstands. Now, this is a very big picture. I got two things I'm going to give you 
very big, I mean, we can zero down this in a lot, but we're not today. Very big picture. They had multiple rooms and multiple lampstands in the house, and I believe that there are two primary places that he will position us. Two lampstands. I said these are very broad strokes here, but the first one, he's going to position me based upon who I am. One lampstand is who I am. Well, Pastor Chris, what do you mean by that? I have my family. I have my job, the place I go. I have the relationships I have. I have the things that I do that make me who I am. Those things. That's a lampstand position. And these, when I go through a tough season, when I go through a trial, or I go through a major success, I'm in a position to shine regardless because he puts me on a lampstand. I'm going to preach more on that in a second. The second place, the second lampstand is what I do. This is my function. You know, there's a difference between your purpose and your function, right? Right? My purpose is I'm called to be a minister. I'm called to be a, a pastor. I'm called to be apostolic and help people walk out their calling and their purpose. Right now, my position is pastor of Tabernacle Church in Chalmette. But 40 years from now, my position, my, my function will not be the same. My purpose always will be. If I lost my job today and had to go work at Target or had to go work at Home Depot and I was in a management position, I would still be trying to help people find their purpose. I just wouldn't be in a pulpit doing it because the purpose doesn't change based upon season. Functions do. And so we've got these two lampstands. One is attached to my purpose and one is attached to my function. But Jesus will move us from our lampstand based upon where we are because there are people around us in our purpose that need light and there are people around us in our function that need light. Now, what kind of light do they see? Does that mean I'm just talking about Jesus all the time? Sure. That means I'm being evangelistic. That means when I'm, when I'm at my, my, my life at home, around my family, I'm projecting Jesus. I'm modeling the Father. I'm modeling who Jesus is to my children. When Daddy makes a mistake and gets too mad, which you know never happens to me, but when, when I make a mistake and, and mess that up, i got to go back and apologize to them because they need to see that Daddy is humble and Daddy's not perfect and Daddy loves Jesus and needs Jesus. I need to be modeling this for them. Why? Because my light has been positioned on this lampstand in their lives. The people that you live with, the people that you know intimately, the people that you are connected to for a long time that are part of who you are, your light, your lampstand is around them. And then the people you work with every day when you clock in, that's you walking in and putting your lamp on a lampstand. Every day. When I go to the Saints game, when I go to the grocery store, when I go to the mall, when I go on vacation, lampstand. I joke all the time in general when I'm preaching because the, the place that my lamp is the most dangerous, I think, at this season of my life is when I'm driving. I struggle with the way most other people drive. I do. I'm not going to lie. I don't necessarily think I'm that good at it. I just think I do better than most people. <laughs> I just do. You know what I'm saying? And the other day, I forgot where we, oh, last Monday night, we were driving to, we are driving to Meadow, we are driving to Vincent's with a couple that's about to get married this Friday night, a couple in Chalmette. And we're driving, and I don't remember exactly what happened, we're on Paris Road, and somebody just did something that I thought was absolutely, like completely unnecessary. And I just, I'm not a horn honker, I'm a horn holder. So I'm that guy. 
So, and the car cut us off or whatever it was, and I just held it. Just holding it. I'm still holding it. He's done past ten. I'm still holding it. And Caitlin's like, what are you doing? I'm like, he needs to know. That guy needs to know. And she looks at me. This has happened so many times. What happens if that person comes to church on Sunday? And most of the time I feel convicted. Well, this time I did not. I said, I'll lead him to Jesus and then tell him he's got to fix his driving. That's what I'll do. I'll disciple him in his driving as I'm discipling him in his walk with the Lord. It's funny and it's goofy, but the truth is those are the moments that you and I blow our witness the most. The lamp is, we're, we, we might not be going and, and getting completely wasted every night anymore. We might be going out to the club and that's not happening anymore. No, it's these little areas of, of really trivial, foolish things that cause us to lose the character of Christ. Yet the lamp is lit. The lamp is burning. And everywhere we go, it's full of darkness. If you don't think so, let's take a 10-minute call right now. But Jesus said, I'm putting you on a lampstand. Now, we, can, we, we know we can talk about the, the, the light of our conduct and how we carry ourselves. And I think that's obviously extremely important. But I really want to focus on another area this morning because this is why I believe this message is timely for this church. Because I believe you've, you've been positioned for influence with the season you're going through. You've been positioned for influence because here's the truth. The truth is, is that, yes, when we go through our, our walk and, and our lives and we make selfish decisions, sinful decisions, yes, it's, it's a problem. we got to repent. But we know that those are wrong, most of them. We know what the Word says and what we're doing is wrong. The real place that our light shines is not necessarily in an atmosphere of sin, but an atmosphere of trial. And here's what I mean by that. You get a diagnosis that's not good. You get diagnosed with cancer. You get diagnosed with, with some condition. All of a sudden, everything around you gets real dark. Hopelessness comes in. Heaviness comes in. Fear comes in. Anxiety comes in. Depression comes in. But that light's still on. And see, but we fail to realize. You ever wonder why? Maybe it's just me. But there are two passages in Scripture that I wrestle with probably more than anything else. It's found in Romans 5 and James 1. It's when the Bible says that we should count it all joy when we go through trials. And I'm like, no, I don't want to. Because this isn't fun. It is not joyful to go through trials. It is not pleasant to go through trials. But the reason Paul and James say to count it all joy is because you will never have another opportunity like this to shine as bright as you did. You'll never have the opportunity to let the light that's in you become so contrasting to what everybody else expects because people will argue, oh, you're you religious, you don't drink. Oh, you, you, you're religious, you don't, you don't smoke no more. Oh, you're religious, you don't do that. That's fine. But wait, you got cancer and you're not wanting to drown yourself in your sorrows? Wait, wait, you just lost your job? You don't know how you're going to pay your next bill, but you're not going crazy? Hold up, hold up, hold up. This is different. This is different. 
because there's a darkness that comes around. Because, see, sinners, lost people, 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, well, the message of the cross is foolishness to those that are perishing, right? So when a lost person looks at our consecrated lifestyle of holiness, they're like, that's just weird. That don't make no sense. What do you mean you don't do that no more? I don't, why? They don't get it. But when they see you going through that, that crisis, when they see you going through that trial and that storm, all of a sudden they look at you and they say, that's not weird. That's different. There's something different about that. But what normally happens is when Jesus goes to put us on a lampstand like that, we don't want it. We won't let him position us. We don't let the light shine. Instead, we just post on Facebook all day how sad we are. We, we just drown ourselves in the difficulty of the moment. We drown ourselves in the, in the confusion and the chaos. That's when the world is looking for light. That's when it will stand out to them. Because there's a darkness that will surround, especially in illness. There's a darkness that surrounds medical crisis like nothing else. But when you're still able to stand there and say Jesus is king. And he's holy. And he's worthy in the midst of all of this. The man who founded the tabernacle back in the early 70s. Brother Forrest Hall died I think in 2003. I don't remember what he had. He was real sick. He was in a hospital in Baton Rouge, and my mom, we went up to see him. And they were letting everybody in the waiting room was packed. Well, that's, you were probably there. Everybody was going in to see Brother Hall. We go in, and he was he had a, he was full of fluids, and so he would he would inhale, and it would be all that gargling, that nasty gargle stuff, and then he would exhale. You knew he was in pain. He couldn't really sit still in the bed. He would inhale that gargle. And every time he would exhale, you want to know what, what it would sound like? Blessed be the name of the Lord. He'd inhale, all that fluid. He'd exhale, holy is the Lord. That's, that's all he was saying. He, he wasn't even talking to you. He wasn't even acknowledging you because every breath that he had, he was praising the Lord. Every moment that he had left, every breath that came out was more about how holy God is, how awesome God is. And I'm this, I'm 2003, I'm probably 15, I, I, yeah, probably 15. And I'm sitting there and I'm watching this and I'm thinking to myself, in my mind, I would want my kids and my grandkids and I'd be wanting to talk to them and tell them. No, that's not what he wanted. He was making sure everybody who came in that room knew in the middle of the most miserable circumstance I've ever been in, every breath that I have still belongs to Jesus. Every moment, every ounce of energy that comes out of my mouth belongs to him. And he did this over and over. And then we left, and my mom went back the next day to see him again. That was like her spiritual, her spiritual daddy, letter to the Lord, and all this kind of stuff. She goes back, and he was doing it still the next day. Every day, all day long, that's what he did until he went to be with the Lord. And here I am 15 years later, and that's what's stuck in my mind, almost 20 years later. That's what's stuck in my mind, is that in the midst of this crisis, when he could have been depressed and he could have been sad because he wasn't all that old. 
when he could have been all angry that God was taking him. Instead, no, 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 I'm going to let my light shine right now. So he probably wasn't thinking about me. But this 15-year-old kid is going to remember this moment, and he's going to see Jesus in me. And 40, 50 years from now, he's going to remember when it's his time to cross this bridge. He's going to remember what I did before it. See, we have to realize something. It's not about you. It's not about me. How I handle a situation is what's going to shine light or not. When I'm submitted to Jesus or not. When I'm doing what the word says to do or not. Because you've been positioned for influence. Hear me out. You've been positioned for influence here as a church. Each of you. Wives. Because you've been given some good reasons to leave. That's why. What are you going to do with it? What are you going to do? No, no. I've been positioned. And if somebody in my life is going to see my faithfulness, they're going to see what, I've, what I'm doing for Jesus, how I'm living for Jesus, how I'm trusting in Jesus. And it's going to help them. I'm going to just keep on going. I'm going to just keep on going. Is anything I've learned from Brother Carl in all the years that I've been under him is he just keeps on going. He's like a gigantic 18-wheeler in traffic. It just doesn't matter what gets in front of him. It, it just goes right through it. don't matter. Because Jesus told him to go somewhere, and that's all that matters. I'm going to keep going. I'm not going to quit. But see, the hardest part about all of this is that in order for us to really accept being this, having this positional influence that God's putting us here, we have to trust him. We have to trust that what he's doing is actually for our good and for the good of those around us. Because there are times that we look at the situation and we go, how can this be good? How can this produce? How does this, ready for the secret? Anything that causes you and I to trust him more is good. Anything. The more you're around me, the more you'll know that I love him. I love him. I would pick songs 250 years old over anything written today, all day, every day. You can keep them all. Except what a beautiful name. I want that. And there's an old hymn. I'm, I'm going to play it. Is it too long? It is so sweet to trust in Jesus Just to take him at his word Just to rest upon his promise 
just to know the saith the Lord. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I've proved him more and more. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust him more. I'm so glad I've learned to trust him. Precious Jesus, Savior and friend, and I know that Thou art with me and will be with me till the end. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust and how I proved him more and more. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace trust him more and oh for grace to trust him more that last line oh for grace to trust him more Whenever you find yourself in a place where you need to trust God more, please know you're in the right place. Know you're in the right place. And that you've been positioned for influence. You've been positioned to let people see what God is doing in you. They're going to see it and they're going to go, I need that. I need that. But here's the deal. You can't be positioned for influence until he's lit the fire. You can't be positioned for influence until he's made you the light of the world. And he makes you the light of the world when you say, Jesus, I'm yours. If you would bow your heads this morning. If you're here this morning, you can say, Pastor Chris. Pastor Chris.